Welcome to the Multipurpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. And here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. A lot of PTA time is spent on fundraising and specific fundraising events, and we've even spent a lot of time on this podcast discussing fundraising events, what the auction should look like, and how to make everything virtual this year. But if we take a step back, all of these events should be supporting your PTA's overall strategy. But how do you form that strategy and make sure that the events are supporting it? Well, our guest today has been very involved with the PTA for many years, including as president. She has leveraged her skills as a successful author and businesswoman to ensure that the PTA is creating a winning strategy and putting on events that support that strategy. Welcome Alicia Whittaker Pace, young adult author and amazing PTA volunteer. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and involvement with the PTA? Sure. I am originally from Kentucky. I moved to New York uh, in my early 20s when we make so many of our um, impulsive (laughs) decisions that we might later come to rethink. (laughs) And I was in Queens for 10 years. And then when I started having babies, we moved out to Long Island. And when I moved here... My son started kindergarten, and I thought, you know, I when you aren't from a place, you have to really build your community. Every time you move, you have to rebuild your community, and it's very important to me. So we moved to Long Island, and I couldn't wait to go to my first PTA meeting. I was very excited to go nerd out and really just meet a lot of new people. I was excited to build my community, and I thought that was a great place to start because here we would be with like-minded people, or at least with people with similar goals, right? That we all raise these amazing kiddos, that we support them the best we can in their schooling and in their community. And to me, that word community is what I always just end up going back to. I just see it as anything that helps all kids ultimately helps my own children. And so I started to volunteer and help out. And the few times that my family has had an emergency here, you know, I have no support system. I have no family up here, but it's my PTA friends who have kind of come to our aid and helped us out. And I just feel like it's very mutual. I give to the PTA. I give a lot of my time, but I also feel that I receive so much. And it's just a smile on a kid's face when he wins the spooky story contest or it's getting to know parents from all over and really just supporting them and supporting each other and making those friendships that really makes being a part of the PTA so mutually beneficial, in my opinion. I really, really love it. And as a former PTA president and really active member of the PTA, I know you thought a lot about the PTA's mission. Can you share with us what is the mission of the PTA? Sure. I think at first, I wasn't thinking about the mission. And when I started to put the mission first, it really helped inform all of my decisions. So the PTA is a national association and their mission statement is the mission of the parent teacher association is to make every child's potential a reality 
by engaging and empowering families and communities to advocate for all children. So there are just so many big words in there for me that really hit home, like making a child's potential a reality. There's so much potential there by engaging and empowering their families and their communities. And then just the big word, advocating. I love to throw a party. I love cupcakes. I'm not anti any of that. (laughs) But the advocacy piece of PTA is really why it initially got started. And it's still so important because a lot of times it's the PTA volunteers who are advocating for certain things. You'll eventually see those become laws. And it's kind of amazing. Like, for instance, I think in New York, I believe that's why we got seatbelts on school buses. That was just a few awesome moms and dads that were just advocating. So I I love that. It often seems like the only thing that we ever think about with PTA is kind of fundraising, right? Like sales and raising dollars and kind of that's what most parents think about. How do you keep that mission at the forefront at, for when you're leading your PTA? So I definitely see that. And I, I understand I, I wouldn't even fault someone for thinking fundraising, fundraising, because I think that at their heart, they're just trying to provide for kids. But I think that it really comes to leadership, right? Leadership can guide the membership. So if your leaders are thinking, okay, how do I make sure every child is included? How do I make sure every opportunity is equitable? How do I make sure I'm a voice for every child here? Then I think it really, really steers just everything you plan, including your fundraising. So what you would need to do is have that first meeting. When you first become a leader, have some people over in your yard, have a little cookout or, you know, even socially distancing. You can prop open some lawn chairs and get to know the people on your board and let them know, remind them, hey, this is the mission. This is where we're going. This is what we want to do. And when you have your nominating committee that are looking for officers, say, you know, we're looking for officers who will be inclusive, who will adhere to the mission statement, who will, you know, it, I think a lot of times it comes from your leadership. So for me, if I can not only be a voice for that, but also show it in my actions, then I think more people will want to, to be the same. Does that make sense? They'll, they'll want to get on board. Absolutely. And- how do you make sure that you are bringing that inclusivity? You know, as the leader, you mentioned that's your focus. So if somebody wants to replicate your actions, how do you do that and make sure that the PTA is representative and inclusive? So I think a lot of times I have been told that I'm ferociously friendly. And I know that's not every personality. And I get that. But someone pointed it out at one of our trainings. And they said, well, Alicia, my walk up to a stranger and say, hi, how are you? Who's your kid? What class are you in? (laughs) That's not really common for everyone. So the idea then is to make sure you have a little bit of everybody on your board. So if you already have a super outgoing person, but maybe you have someone else who's really good with fundraising or who's really good with um, translating or really good, you know, maybe just try to make sure you have a diverse board and you have people with lots of different gifts so that everyone's not the same. Like again, if your board is already showing a diverse group that's already mimicking to your members that this is what you're about. I think also there have been times when your your bylaws can guide you. So our bylaws say that there a person can only chair an event for two years. And 
when I saw that, that was new for our community. No one had read that. And, and people were a little upset that we started to adhere to that bylaw. But, you know, I have four kids. I could have shared the book fair eight years in a row. How would that be fair to someone who maybe has an only child? So I had to, I loved the book fair, but I had to give that up because I felt like that was the right thing to do. And there were other times that people said to me, you know, why are you letting so-and-so chair that event? You know, she always gives you a hard time or, you know, I've heard she talks behind your back. And I look at them and I say, because she pays her $10 because her kid still deserves to see her mama in the school. So then people see, okay, it's not about personality contest. It's not about best friends. This is actually a business and you're not always best friends with everyone with all your coworkers. <laughs> I, I mean, you guys are married. I'm sure every now and then you um, occasionally have a dispute with your coworker. <laughs> every now and then. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that you all have the same goal and that every child is represented. So what I just try to do is practice what I preach. And I think that people maybe not understand it at first, but they get on board. I think people ultimately like that. I think that's really important because then you get a whole bunch of diversity in thought as well as in the events, right? If you are switching out that chair, if you are bringing in different perspectives on what kind of events resonate. So having inclusive group of volunteers certainly is helpful with respect to the events as well, because then you get some different ideas for events and you get better representation at events. But what are some other ways to ensure that the events you're planning are also inclusive? So one thing that we do is provide verbiage on our flyers that says all of our events are meant to be inclusive of all. If you have an idea or a suggestion or it's kind of like a concern, please reach out to us. You know, we'll try to accommodate, for instance, for family reading night, we have a quiet room in case someone gets a little bit overwhelmed. There's ways that you can work with your SESA, your special education board, and ask them, hey, we're planning family game show night. Do you have any suggestions on how we can make sure that all of our members will feel comfortable the whole time. And also, we started this year, the new president actually approached me and said, what do you think about getting translators? Like, what if we ask some parents if they'd be interested in translating? And I thought that was so smart. So we now have someone who translates in Japanese and someone who translates in Chinese. We have Spanish and we have Portuguese. That's a big start, (laughs) you know, like if we need anything translated. And then in general, if you want people to attend your fundraisers, your fall festivals, your welcome back picnics, you know, you want everyone to do that. And you can't just rely on a flyer in the backpack. Sometimes you also want to put it on your Facebook or your Instagram or Twitter or social media page. I think hashtags are super important. I think it's important that if you do use social media, you understand. So if I post about this podcast and I say, hey, Deborah and Wes, after I post this, um, can you guys go on and comment? Like, because that's going to boost the viewership. It's going to appear in more people's feeds. Ask some people, hey, make sure you're liking the post or commenting on the post, engaging in social media, because it already looks fun. Same thing. Some people don't have social media. My husband is one of those people. So it's good to ask the principal to blast via email or for you to use Member Hub or whatever platform you use to send emails. I think you can't just 
rely on one platform. I think it's, it's a bad idea to only rely on Facebook, for instance. Make sure you're giving every member the same opportunity to attend your event. And then, you know, if you have a good relationship with your teachers and principal, you might even ask them to talk it up. Like, oh, we're having a Halloween scavenger hunt this week. We hope that you all join in. So there's just so many ways. And so maybe that's where you need a committee. We have a flyers committee. Ask folks to do what they can do. Don't ask them to always be a VP or president. Say, who can make some flyers for me this year? Who can send a couple of emails? Who can post on social media? Like, oh, okay, that's a little way I can help. Then I feel like I'm helping the PTA. And then in the future, you're probably going to rope them in for more. (laughs) But I think that's the way to get people to attend is to just make them feel welcome. Like the event won't be the same without them. And it's building a community, it sounds like what you're doing, right? You're like getting people involved, even just a little bit. And then once they become part of that community, they bring their thoughts, they bring their ideas, they bring other people into that community, and you're really driving some engagement. I love that strategy. I know we've talked about... That's the good thing you said about changing the chair people as well, because if I chair something over and over, it's just my friends. But if I chair it for two years... And then my friends have already learned to love book fair. And then you chair the next week, friend. you're bringing your friends in. They start to love it. Then West chairs it. You really build, like you said, that's a way to build. And why, you know, the more you build your PTA, the better it is for all of the children. And the less work it is really ultimately for the few. Many hands make light work. So I think there's a lot of good strategy in being inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. And you've mentioned this earlier how you think of the PTA as a business and I know you've got a successful business as an author you've written four young adult books and promoting books I know can be difficult and so when you think about the PTA and kind of what you've learned from your professional life what lessons have you taken and applied to the PTA so one thing is when I my first book came out I had read an article in the New York Times that says that people don't really want to buy or to be sold to. They don't want to buy like the author, Alicia Whitaker's book. They want to buy my friend, Alicia Whitaker's book. They want to kind of have an idea what my life is like. And they want to see we have similar traits. Like perception is reality with social media, right? Like that people think whatever they see on social media is what's really happening. So, it was important that I wasn't just like, hey, books are on sale at Barnes & Noble right now, or hey, you know, books are on Amazon, or they're at Joseph Beth, or go to your indie bookseller. They also wanted me to say, man, it was really hard getting my oldest kid on the bus today, or I really had a great time at the pumpkin patch, and they feel more engaged to me as an author, and they feel more invested So the same thing with the PTA, if you feel invested, right? So even if they do a small, I ask people to do small jobs. I ask a lot of people to do a lot of little jobs. I think that helps in a lot of ways. One, someone's not getting burnt out. Two, there's a feeling of accomplishment. There's a feeling of pride. And there's a feeling that they're helping their child. And instead of asking them to run an entire event, I always ask people to do stuff. Like right now, I'm running the spooky story contest at our school. Right now, 
I asked someone, could you please go make goodie bags? Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to make me read 200 stories. No, no, I just need somebody to buy some Halloween knickknacks. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Someone else, could you please print out some spooky story certificates for winners? Oh, really? Yes, that'd be a big help. Oh, yeah, I didn't think I could volunteer, but I can do that. You know, give people small jobs. Then they feel like they've helped and they feel more invested. And almost every time that person will say to me, let me know if you need anything else. Wow, that was nice. Let me know if I can help in the future. Why? Because I didn't stress them out and overwhelm them and overburden them. They were able to see, I could do that. Well, I'm such a busy full-time working mom, but I can do that. I think you raise a really good point there is that a lot of PTAs could and should do a better job of showing parents that you don't have to be a VP or you don't have to chair something that you can show up for 15 minutes to pack a bag of some goodies or giveaways or to set up for the Halloween party. And that could be your contribution to the school year. And if all parents of the school did that, we'd have everything that we needed if just a few showed up for key spots in 15 minute segments at a time. Absolutely. Yeah, and so, there's so many ways to show up. That's the other thing, is that this is 2020. There are so many ways to show up now. Two years ago, when I first volunteered for the Spooky Story Contest, when my son was new, all the stories were in hard copy, and we had to pick a day on a Saturday to meet the library and pass the stories around. The next year, I chaired it, and I thought, we only got three people to come to the library. Why? Sports season, sports are year-round these days. But what if everyone could just read the stories on this little rectangle in their hand while they're in bed? <laughs> you know? So I said, let's take pictures of them. And my husband helped me load them. We scan them in. And then we email people and said, could you read spooky stories and judge them from the comfort of your own home on your cell phone? And we went from three volunteers to 19 volunteers because we're meeting people where they are. We don't have to always do things the way they've always been done. And I'm not against tradition. I'm really not. But I do think that we have to consider where people are. And right now, everyone has a little computer in their hands or their back pocket. So in this instance, right now I have 28 volunteers. Last year, when we met at the library that year, they had 40 spooky stories submitted, which is great for a school of 400. Last year, when I chaired it, I reached out to the teachers and said, any teacher who gets full participation, I'm going to buy you a classroom set of books. I could do that using scholastic dollars that we earned. So it actually cost the PTA nothing. So wow. then we got two or three classes who had full participation. I've had a very stressful weekend because this year we have almost 200 stories. Wow. 400 students. And it's been really hard to get through. I'm very bleary eyed. <laughs> but how amazing that every child, since they could submit through Google Classroom, because from the pandemic, they were taught how to submit through Google Classroom. So now, every child, whether they have support at home or not, every child in our district has a school-issued iPad. That made me think, every child in our district has an equitable chance to participate in this PTA giveback. It was difficult that they submitted their Google Classroom because they are 7 and 8. <laughs> but almost 200 of them felt like they had a chance to enter the Spooky Story Contest, no matter what their support is in their home life. That, to me is very exciting. And we have 28 volunteers so far. Why? Because they can read it at home, on their couch, at any time, and tell me what stories that they like best using our rubric. You know, it's just, what you said, Wes, just really rings true to me. It's just, 
meeting people where they are for those 15 minutes. It doesn't always have to be in the actual building. Well, and going from 10% participation to 50% participation, I mean, that to me is how I would define a successful event. But how would you define a successful event? And what are some of the most successful ones you've had? I have to agree. I do feel pretty proud of it. I already, with my, I have an assistant chair, and we are already discussing ways it could be more successful on our end. Had we known there would be 200, we would have changed things on the back end. But here's how we're making it successful for next year. We're writing it down for the future chairperson, right? We're taking notes. We're creating procedures. We're leaving a map for the people after us. It was difficult when you took over an event and you had no notes from the future years and you kind of had to wing it. So it's nice to do that. I think a successful event is any time that a lot of people attend or are involved because I think I'm community, community, community. I say it too much, but I think it's so important. So to me, a successful event is when you see families smiling together, laughing together, posting about it on their own free will on social media or thanking the PTA, you know, or after attending an event saying, how can I help next time? I think anytime you see people making friends or I guess there's just so much about it that if you want to look at the success, I don't think you look at the dollar bills. I think you look at how you engaged families and advocated for children during that event. Do you feel every child there felt safe? Do you feel every family there felt included? If so, that's a successful event. Back to the mission statement, right? I mean, that whole concept of engaging families and advocating for children and really creating that community. And I love that. I think that that's so critical. I think that if someone feels welcome, you've already done a good job. That's one thing that our chairperson asked two years ago. We had a brand new chairperson for Family Game Show Night. And she said, do you mind if my child and some of her friends make welcome posters, and we stand at the door. I thought, what a smart idea, right? Then as soon as you're walking in, you're not sure what family game show night is, and you have these kids that are holding up signs with little jokes on it, like um, what did the right angle say to the something else? And it said, you're so obtuse. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> with these like from their joke books. <laughs> and it's, you're already smiling when you enter the room. Another thing is, I never thought before, it was silly of me, but we started providing hospitality. I went to a training and I learned about hospitality. That person becomes a member of your executive board because it's a year-round event. Not an officer, right, but a member of your greater, your larger board. And the hospitality chair provided little bottles of water and little bags of chips for free. People kept saying, how much? How much is it? How much is it? And it was like, you could see, how much did that really cost our PTA to provide individual bags of chips or individual bottle of water. It didn't cost us much at all. But the smile on the family's faces are like, oh, they felt welcome. If someone feels welcome, then they're going to have a good time. They're probably going to, if it's a fundraiser, they're going to spend more money, right? Because right. they got something for free. Right. If it's not a fundraiser, if it's a give back, they feel welcome and they're more likely to attend next year and bring a friend. Yeah, and join so the PTA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Just make them feel welcome. It's their school. And 
that's what I always say. We would take votes and people say, what do you want to do? And I would say, I have the same vote as you. We both pay $10. I don't pay more than you. I'm leading the organization, but I'm the same as you. We have the same voice. So I think that's important too, right? Everybody is equitable. Everybody's on the same page. So I want you to feel welcome because this is your house. This is your school. Yeah, this is your community, right? So if a PTA leader from another school were to ask you, what's one thing I should focus on this school year to increase my fundraising and support the mission, what would you say? I would say to brainstorm a fundraiser that is community-based because our most successful fundraisers are the ones where we've included families or parents Yes, I know that it's sometimes easier to just send home um, a flyer or send home a brochure. But if we have a parents' night out, that's super fun. And people look forward to it all year. And they dance and they dine and they drop raffle tickets. And it's a blast. It's a blast. You forget it's a fundraiser. And you talk to lots of parents from your kids' classes that you don't usually see. A lot of teachers end up coming, which is nice, too. And that's our most successful fundraiser because people look forward to it. Our welcome back picnic is the same. It's for families. We give them a hot dog. We give them some hamburgers. But we're also selling PTA memberships. We're selling spirit wear. We're selling, we have a little raffle basket. But since people feel like they are receiving something at those two events, they're receiving a good time. They're receiving free food. Or You know what I mean? Then... They're willing to give back. And those fundraisers, to me, are successful on multiple levels. So I guess I would think to these schools that are thinking about fundraising, think about, okay, the mission statement says we're going to empower and engage families and community to advocate for our kids. So we're going to raise money. And I think that's another thing. Another thing that I think is so important, I've seen a lot of cute flyers on Pinterest about this, let people know where their money is going. We created a tab on our website that says your impact. And as we have events, we update it throughout the year. You, you parents, you're the one that made this spooky story a success. You're the one that made the Halloween scavenger hunt a success. You're the one by joining the PTA, by participating, you are giving these experiences. And I did ask the principal, we had a new principal, a couple of years ago, and I, I did remind her after an assembly. It was a summer reading assembly. She was new, and she's so sweet, and she's so kind and good, and she was very nervous. It was her first time. And, you know, we talked later about how important it is to thank the PTA, not because I need it. I don't need it. That's not why I do it. But when a kid comes home with a summer reading medal, and the parent says, oh, you got that medal? Who gave it to you, your teacher? I want the kid to be able to say, no, I got it from the PTA. So the parent thinks, oh, I joined the PTA. So, wait, I kind of got that medal for you. (laughs) You know, like, oh, they gave you an assembly? Oh, they gave you a medal? I think it's important that we show on social media or that we show through email or that our principals and teachers, my my principal does an awesome job shouting from the rooftop, thank you, PTA, for this assembly. Thank you, PTA, for these medals. Thank you, PTA, for this event. And what she means is not thank you to the officers. Not thank you to the chairman. She means thank you to every person who is a PTA member. So 
I think it's important to show people what the money is being used for. Why are we fundraising? And I also think it's important then that you consider as a board, consider your local conventions, consider your local training, consider attending the workshops this year. They're all virtual and free. And so consider that you're fundraising for more than just awesome cupcake party. (laughs) (laughs) Like consider letting people know what you're doing with that money. And when you show that you're a good steward of those finances, they're going to feel more likely to invest in your organization. These are just my opinions. (laughs) Just my thoughts. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think that starting with the mission statement and starting with that community and focusing on the events and the fundraising being a tool to build that community and to support that mission statement. And you can do that. I think what you've shared with us is by being inclusive and through languages, through the different people volunteering, by only asking for 15 minutes, you'll get an inclusive group, a diverse set of volunteers. By looking at your PTA as a business and building that community, you know, many businesses go out and build their brand. I mean, similar for your PTA, you go out and you build that community. And then thanking the PTA for, or I guess, highlighting the things that the PTA has given to the community and making sure that the the principal in the school is highlighting that and thanking the PTA for the specific givebacks so that the PTA is highlighted and people understand where their money is going. I think those three elements are really important and I think highlight the mission statement of the PTA rather than focusing entirely on events. I don't know if you have any parting words before we go today. I really enjoy talking to you. I really enjoy every time that we've spoken. I really enjoy it. I love that. I think a lot of people are more like-minded and a lot of people say like they're intimidated to join the PTA or they're intimidated to be part of it. So when I take feedback like that, I, I always think, oh, how can I make it less so? How can I make it more approachable? I, whenever I hear any kind of feedback, and this goes for my writing too, you know, my editor says, you don't need chapter 12. Oh, really? Chapter 12? I spent hours on chapter 12. <laughs> what do you mean I don't need chapter 12? <laughs> right. And now I couldn't tell you what chapter 12 was about because ultimately she was right. It wasn't necessary. So you have to be able to take feedback. And I really welcome feedback. It, it makes my stories stronger. It makes my work stronger. Same thing with PTA. We actually have done a few surveys. Why? Because it gives people voice. Again, it makes them feel invested. And then I can take that feedback and think, okay, this didn't really work for that person. I didn't have that perspective, right? I mean, sometimes you're going to get something that you don't have to listen to. But let's say if 40 people answer your survey and one person complains, okay, maybe you don't need to. But if like 10 people had the same comment, maybe you're thinking, oh, wow, so that entry didn't really work or that part didn't really work. How can I tweak it? So... I like the idea of really being open to feedback. So if someone feels like your PTA is clicky, rather than take that as an insult, take it as a room for improvement. That's an opportunity, really. Oh, wow. Now I have some insight as to how people feel. I wonder why people would feel that way because that's not my heart. My heart isn't to be exclusive. My heart isn't just to have a sorority of me and my friends because stories are great, but 
that's for a sorority, right? It's not for right. not for profit. So how do I how do I take that feedback and apply it? So I think that it's good to just kind of keep checking in with your members. Keep keep your finger on the pulse. Do you feel that you're getting a lot of new volunteers? If not, what are some ways that you can? I think one way is to look at your nominating committee. When you're coming up with new officers, maybe don't have six best friends. Maybe think, okay, this person has a child in first grade. This person has a child in second grade. This person has a child in fourth grade. This person speaks two languages. This person is an accountant. Think maybe in those terms. Obviously, first you want to look at your attendance sheets, right, and say who actually comes, who actually shows up, who actually volunteers. Yeah. But I think ultimately... Again, when you're, if you're basically practicing what you preach, if you have a somewhat diverse board and even just people who maybe don't even know each other that well, right? You're, you don't always know who you're going to be working with when you interview for a job. You get the job and then you learn to work together. And I just think that then you're bringing in, the first grader's bringing in her friends, the second grade parents bringing in her friends, the fourth grade parents bringing in his friends. And you then are building your your volunteer base and your membership without even really realizing it. You're using those principles of inclusivity and community, and you're lowering the barrier to entry. And I think that that is, you know, as you're getting the survey results and figuring out why people may not be participating, you're able to lower the barriers to entry and you're able to kind of diversify your group. And so... I think that that's all really great advice. We very much appreciate you being here. We always enjoy our conversations. And I'd love for you to share your website with any of our listeners who may be interested in the young adult author element that you've brought up, because I think that it would be great to learn more about you. Well, sure, that'd be great. Uh, my website is Whitaker. A-L-E-C-I-A-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R.com. And you can see all about me there. You can see about my books. I write commercial rural fiction. And I would also say that if you are considering givebacks and you're, you are wanting to answer that question for people, why are you raising money? People want to know, what are you raising money for? What, what do you need the money for? Why are you raising money? Consider things like author visits. And I know this year is a weird year because of the pandemic, but I always did Skype visits or you could do Zoom visits. There's so many ways that you can reach out to people. And anytime I would speak to kids, especially back home, if I would fly home and speak to some kids in Kentucky or speak to middle schools and high schools, they felt like, wow, you're from where I'm from, right? Like I grew up in a tobacco farm and a cattle farm. I know what it's like for these kids. And then I moved to New York City and they're like, whoa, it's amazing. But I would say to them, I would say, every author that you love is on Twitter or on, they're on social media. You can approach them. If I wanted to speak to an author, I would have had to go to great lengths. I, I never met an author until my adulthood. But these kids have that access. Librarians have that access. They could be reaching out. The PTA could support a visit like that since if a librarian doesn't have a very big budget. These are just things that you can think about. I'm not saying me. I'm just saying in general, it's a great way to think, again, as Wes was kind of saying earlier, 
about how we should rethink the ways that you can volunteer. We can also rethink the ways that you can make opportunities happen for kids. And technology really is a big one. Yeah, it really has opened a lot more doors and allowed us to have a lot more diversity of events because we're no longer limited by geography. And so I think that... No, imagine, we couldn't have this conversation right now. Exactly. So we're on different coasts right now. So it's very exciting. And I think it's a great opportunity for PTAs to consider. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all your advice here today. Thanks Um, for being here. It's very valuable to our listeners. And we appreciate your time, as always. Yeah, I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school and subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on the show, we share additional resources on our company blog at k12clothing.com and click on blog. Thanks to Squad Locker for making this show possible. And we'll see you next week in the multipurpose room.